You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Well, just a, a couple days ago, we were driving around with our kiddos, and as we were going through our neighborhood, we went past one of our neighbor's houses who had already begun decorating for Halloween. And they had put up a great display, and our kids were incredibly excited about the Halloween display in their front yard. One of our kids leaned over to my wife while we were passing the yard and exclaimed in a saddened voice, I wish we could decorate our yard that way, but I know we never will. To which my wife simply asked, well, why is that? And my kid responded by saying, because dad hates holidays. Now, it's not actually true that I hate holidays, though I confess I'm not sure that we've ever decorated our yard for Halloween. Matter of fact, I'm certain of it. And we've only decorated our yard and house for Christmas probably once or twice. But it's not that I don't like holidays, it's just that there are certain holidays which I really love, and it tends not to be the ones that are put on a calendar for me, but instead are ones that are specific to me and to my family, uh, and to the children that the Lord God has given to us. And so those holidays, birthdays or anniversaries or celebrations of kind of momentous times in the life of our family or individuals in our family, I love to celebrate those. As a matter of fact, there's even something about remembering days where we've lost a loved one or where we've gone through difficult times those are also times that I cherish because they're times where I see all that the Lord has given to me and to my family. It's the times where I've watched us grow as a family and it's times where I've watched the Lord move and work in our family. Now, regardless of whether you're a big holiday person or not, the truth is that when the Lord God created us, for whatever reason, he decided not to just create us with the ability to enjoy our present circumstances, but also as a people that remember and even can lean into what the future might look like. The Lord God created us as a people that live in a single time, but enjoy what has come and even anticipate what is to come. Now today, we are getting into a, 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 an aspect and an area of the book of Leviticus that's different. Most of Leviticus deals with the daily lives of the people of God. It's the daily sacrifices and the daily offerings. It's daily rules and routines and guidelines for the people of God. But today, we're looking at the Day of Atonement which is really the beginning of when the Lord starts to institute a couple of annual rhythms for the people of God. And this, the Day of Atonement, is the most important, if you will, the pinnacle of the year for the people of God. Now, the Day of Atonement is, is quite honestly exactly what you might expect. It's a day, the culminating Day of Atonement. Now, if you haven't gotten an opportunity to be with us throughout our sermon series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our sermon walking through Leviticus chapter 1. And that sermon, as we dealt with the sacrifices and offerings prescribed to the people of Israel in the book of Leviticus, 
we talked through the importance of this term, this process, this gift of atonement. Now, the original word for atonement really dealt with two main concepts, the concept of freedom and the concept of purity. We are freed in atonement from uh, the, the, the rightful wrath of God that is due to us. We are freed from it when we are atoned. And yet, it also means that we are cleansed or purified. The guilt that we have inherited from our sin is purified through our atonement. Now, one of the things that we talked about in the midst of atonement is that atonement requires the shedding of blood. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the Lord God himself said that there is one ultimate punishment for sin. He said it to Adam and Eve when he gave them the first command in the garden. On the day that you shall eat of this tree, he said, you shall surely die. And a just and holy God follows through on his word, and so atonement requires death. But of course, for us to live in the presence of a holy God, to be freed and cleansed, and still to be with him, to be his, to live, we need another. We need another to shed their blood for us. And this was the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs that was given to Israel. And ultimately, that substitutionary atonement is what we look forward to and celebrate in the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, Christ Jesus, our Savior. And so, this day of atonement is the pinnacle day for atoning for Israel's sin. It it primarily, in Leviticus chapter 16, doesn't go into the implications, if you will, or why even so much the Day of Atonement was needed. Most of the text, as we just read, describes the process of the Day of Atonement. It outlines the practices of that day. But as we look at those practices, it helps us to see that this was an impactful and critically important day for Israel. The Lord God was doing something for them and giving them one day out of the year to be a time of celebration, a time of remembrance, even a somber day that they would look towards the atonement that they needed. And so I want us to look at three impacts of the Day of Atonement for Israel and also three impacts of remembering atonement for us. The first impact for Israel, and honestly for us, for the Day of Atonement is this. The Day of Atonement serves as a reminder. The Day of Atonement serves as a reminder. One of the key ways that Israel's sin is routinely presented throughout the Old Testament is framed in them forgetting the Lord. Now, we often associate sin with something like passion or, or pride or maybe a lapse in judgment, but when it comes down to it, what we're doing is we're forgetting the nature and character of who our God is and what he has done. Or another way to say it is when it comes to the Lord, we are amnesiacs. And we're not just amnesiacs when it comes to the goodness, the greatness, the holiness 
of our God, but we're also amnesiacs when it comes to ourself. I mean, think for just a, a minute. How long are you tempted to remember the failures of others when it's impacted you? But how quick are we to forget our own failures? Again, how, how long will we critique others but dismiss our own failures? How, how, how quick are we to dismiss the wisdom or guidance that other people might give us? And yet, how quickly do we forget how often we've led ourselves astray? We are amnesiacs. We forget when it comes to ourselves in the Lord. And the Day of Atonement is meant to be a great reminder of who the Lord is and who we are. Now, the conversation of Leviticus 16, it, it likely occurs just moments, maybe a day or two, after Leviticus chapter 10. Now, if you don't remember Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, the two eldest sons of Aaron, had gone into the Holy of Holies, the, the very presence of the glory of God, uninvited and uncovered. And they're killed, they're consumed. Now, this the instructions that the Lord gives to Moses for Aaron comes just moments after that. The Lord is using what has just happened as a time to institute this Day of Atonement and in so doing, helping to commemorate the need for atonement and the need for this holy day. And, and I think it would have reminded Israel and ought to remind us as I look through the text of two important truths that we need to remember. The first is that we need atonement because we are God's people. Right? When Rachel and I first got married, I remember getting advice uh, from some loved ones of ours that one of the most important things that we needed to do as a new couple starting a new family was to start new traditions. Not just to cling to the old traditions that we had from our individual families, but as a new people, a new family, a new husband and wife, we needed to make our own customs and rhythms and traditions that we would celebrate. Now we have spent a lot of time wading through the problems that were caused in Exodus moving into Leviticus, right? We have framed the book of Leviticus as the, the question of how can a sinful people dwell in the midst of a holy God? But the flip side of that is that Israel is the chosen people of a holy God. The Lord has chosen them. He has called them His. And so now the Lord gives them this new rhythm, this new culture, this new custom of a day of atonement. And yes, it reminds them that they need atonement, but it also reminds them that they need atonement because they are His and He is with them. Right? Exodus begins with Israel in, in bondage, and they were seemingly alone and orphaned. But not anymore. Now they're provided for, protected by, loved by the Creator God of the universe Himself. The Day of Atonement reminded Israel that they were His chosen people. 
And yet there also was a difficult and darker side to it, which is that it also reminded them of the fact that their sin and the extent of their sin was far greater than they ever could comprehend. Now, why do I say this? Well, the purpose of the Day of Atonement, as we read through the sacrifices that Aaron goes through, is, is twofold. One, the Day of Atonement atones for the tabernacle itself. We see Aaron going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling the blood of the sin and guilt offerings and burnt offerings on and within the Holy of Holies and then making his way out and sprinkling the blood on the altar and even on the exterior of the tent of the meeting place. Now what Aaron was doing is he was atoning for the tabernacle. Now the second piece of the Day of Atonement beyond atoning for the tabernacle was atoning for the sins of the people. Now when Moses atones for the tabernacle, we we have to start asking the question, why? The tabernacle has done nothing to rebel against a holy God. How in the world has the tabernacle become unclean or impure or unholy? Well, the answer is it's the sins of the people. I remember when Rachel and I first moved back down to Mascuda, that winter was a terrible winter for sickness and illness for us. And I remember every time one of our kids got sick, I would get out the Lysol spray and spray down what seemed like every single surface in the entire house, hoping that their sickness wouldn't spread. Well, the Day of Atonement declares that the sickness of the people's sin spread even to the palace tent of the Lord God, even potentially into the Holy of Holies, the extent of their sin was so great that the tabernacle itself needed to be cleansed and once again made holy. But beyond that, the Day of Atonement was also just for the sins of the people themselves. Now again, we should be asking the question, if you've been following along in the book of Leviticus, wait a minute, I thought the Lord had already given Israel ways to deal with their sin. They've been making daily sacrifices, burnt offerings. They've been making sin and guilt offerings already. So why is there needed more atonement? Well, the answer seems to be that clearly there are sins or sinfulness within the people of Israel that has yet to be atoned for. Clearly what they were doing wasn't enough, and so the Lord God graciously gives them another way to atone for it. And, and here's why, right? The, the, the covering for their sin, for Israel's sin, for those sacrifices that they walked through, it, it, it required really two things. One was that their sin wasn't what was referred to as a high-handed sin or an intentional act of rebellion against the Lord. There really was none of the offerings that covered that type of egregious sin. It was far more for uh, unintentional acts of sin or, or small sinful actions. Now, the second aspect that they had to, one, recognize their sin, and they had to make the proper atonement and sacrifice for it. If one of those two standards weren't met, if the sin was high-handed, if it was egregious, an outright action of rebellion, if they didn't see their sin, or if they didn't catch their mistake or see how they became defiled, or if they didn't 
follow the proper procedures, their sin would not be atoned for. And that leaves a lot of chance that there's a lot of Israel, maybe all of Israel, that is walking around still near the presence of a holy God, still not fully atoned for. And so this day, this remembering of the extent of their sin and then meeting the remembrance of that was a gracious gift from God. Now, looking back at the extent of our sin is hard and painful. Moving down here to Mascuta, I had to come face to face with a lot of choices, actions, interactions, relationships that I had with people before really the Lord rescued me. And coming face to face with the person I was, and quite honestly, the person I still wrestle with now, my own sin actively that the Lord is working through and that I oftentimes fall prey to, I didn't like to go through that then, and I still don't like to look back at the extent of my brokenness and sin. But the truth is, it's utterly necessary, like a burn that needs to be debrided, where all of the dead skin needs to be taken off before it can heal properly. The Lord tells us that we need to remember, recall the extent of what has happened, the extent of our need, so that as our need is fully met, we can be truly healed. The Day of Atonement is a day that serves to remind us, but it also is a day that serves to draw us near. I went to grad school initially for a master's in public policy, and one of the areas as I was going through my graduate program that I loved to study was the study of migration. Now, the study of migration is essentially the study of how and why people groups from all of, of history move, whether that be from wars that displace them or uh, uh, resource scarcity or climate changes. There's always reasons, and those reasons oftentimes lead huge groups of people around our earth to move. Now, there are always two components to any migration, any movement. And it's the movement away from one place, and it's the movement towards something or somewhere else. And honestly, this defines all of life. And we've talked about this before if you've been at Mercy's door. Life is constantly movement. We're always moving away from some people, and we're moving towards other people. We're always moving away from certain circumstances and trying, at least, to move towards other circumstances. And the Day of Atonement is a prime example of the movement of the people of God. And there's two instances. One is the high priest Aaron entering into, moving into the Holy of Holies. And the other is what we often refer to as the scapegoat. The, the, the goat who is sent to Azazel, or, or what probably is best translated as a cut-off place, a wilderness, desolate place. So let me walk through these two examples, and let's look at how the Day of Atonement serves to draw us near to the Lord. The first is Aaron entering into the Holy of Holies. Nadab and Abihu, as we said, died because they entered into the Holy of Holies. But it was not because the Lord never wanted his people to enter into the holiest place. 
but because he would be the one to invite and describe how his people were to come into his presence. And he does just that for Aaron through the instructions he gives to Moses. Aaron washes his entire body, purifying himself, at least symbolically. And then he takes off his priestly garments, the the, the, the royal priestly garments that he would typically wear day to day as he made the sacrifices. Instead, he dresses himself in holy clothing, we're told, just a, a linen clothing, a, a turban, a sash, a garment that goes around him. This new garment, this holy garment, probably was to signify a sense of humility, that this is the way that he entered into the presence of the Lord, not with any royal overtones as if he was anything in the presence of the Lord. But instead, he enters in simply before the great king, God himself. And then he would take and make an offering after he's bathed and changed. He would make an offering to atone for his own sins and the sins of his people. And then finally, he could go into the Holy of Holies all the way in to the Ark of the Covenant, to the the mercy seat, and there make an offering before the Lord. Now this, this first time where he enters in to the Holy of Holies is, is I think, literally the, the closest that humanity has ever come to this point to entering back into the Garden of Eden, the place where the Lord God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The Lord's presence was right there in front of Aaron as he stood in that place. Now contrast that picture with the picture of the scapegoat. This is in verses 20 through 22 that really outlines the scapegoat. But the scapegoat is is a goat that's taken, and he's taken, and then all of the sins of Israel are confessed over the scapegoat. They are placed upon this scapegoat. And then what happens to the scapegoat? He's not, he's not killed and then offered as a sacrifice like is typically happens, but instead, once the sins of Israel are placed upon them, he's sent out of the camp. He's sent away, away from the Lord, away from the, the holy presence of God. He is cut off from the very place where the Lord God is. Now, the Day of Atonement gives us these two contrasts because it serves to say what the Lord desires of His people, which is not to be cut off, not to be removed from His presence, but in fact, not just dwell close to His presence, but to be invited all the way in, all the way. That's the ultimate goal of atonement. It's to draw us near. I remember one time John Piper, a pastor that... I love saying something that was pretty shocking to me. He, he said this, he said, Christ's death, our salvation is not ultimately about the forgiveness of our sins. And I remember the first time hearing that thinking, wait, wait a minute, what, what is he going to say? Because exactly what I thought Christ's death and resurrection was about, what my salvation was all about, it was it's about the, the forgiveness of my sins. But what he went on to say was, It's not about the forgiveness of your sins. Instead, the forgiveness of your sins is about you and I being reconciled to God, relationally, physically, spiritually, wholly. The forgiveness of our sins is a means to an end. The atonement that the Lord God gives to us when we remember it, celebrate it, 
is ultimately about drawing us near. So let me ask you, church, do you see the biggest gift of your salvation, of your atonement, being that you are always being drawn closer and closer to the Lord? When you think of what the gospel has given you ultimately, do you see it as the Lord himself? Not the things of the Lord, but him. We need forgiveness so that we can have him. We need redemption so that we can have him. We need healing so that we can have him. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. The day of atonement served as a reminder for Israel. It served to draw Israel near. And then finally, atonement pointed Israel forward. After the sacrifices of of the Day of Atonement, after the burnt offerings, the sprinkling of blood, after the scapegoat, the guilt and sin offerings were all made, Aaron would go back into the tabernacle. He would change out of his holy garments, these linen garments, and he would put back on his priestly robes. And then we are told he comes out, he makes a sacrifice, atoning for his sin, and then he makes a burnt offering and a sin offering for all the people of Israel. Now, here's why this is important. After all of the sacrifices, the remembrances, the procedures of the Day of Atonement, Aaron goes right back to doing what he does every other day. He makes the burnt offering and the sin offering for the people of God. Essentially, what he's doing, what he's telling the people of God is that the Day of Atonement and all of those sacrifices the scapegoats sending away, bearing all of the sins. Not some, not just the ones that were uh, done correctly or were, were offered with the correct sacrifices, but every last drop of sin in the people of God is gone. And now he can get back to those sacrifices. The Atonement Day sacrifices were accepted. It, you can imagine yourself as the people of Israel that would have just exhaled, like, oh my goodness, thank you. I've lived with a concern that that maybe I I hadn't atoned for all of my sins, that I hadn't offered the correct sacrifices, or that some of my sins were maybe too egregious, too high-handed, too even intentionally rebellious against the Lord to be covered by these sacrifices. And I thought, what will I do? One day I'll be consumed because I'm an unclean people dwelling in the midst of a holy God. But now I know I'm okay. Because the Day of Atonement sacrifices have been accepted. I remember one time hearing a pastor talk about uh, brain cancer that he had been diagnosed with, that he had suffered from, and, and that had been, uh, the, the tumor had been removed. And as a part of just the ongoing process of ensuring his health, he would have to yearly go back for, for an annual scan to make sure that the cancer hadn't reappeared. And he, would, he said how when the, the, the day of the, the scan would draw near, he would, he would find himself becoming agitated and irritated, short with his family or with coworkers. He would find himself not really being able to think about the the months or weeks ahead, but all he could think about was the scan coming up. But then, when he would have the scan, he would find the results that everything was clear. It was as if the, the future opened up to him. Then he could start to think about what was ahead of him. Then he could plan for the the future and the days to come. And I think the same would have been true for Israel, that on the Day of Atonement, when those sacrifices would be made. And they knew that finally, for sure, all of their sin was taken away. They could, they could finally breathe. 
they would be able to see that God was still with them, that they were still his people, and that God wasn't going anywhere, that they would continue to dwell in his presence. But it wasn't just that they could see forward for one more year dwelling with the presence of the Lord, but in knowing that the Lord was still with them, it meant that the Lord was still leading them where they needed to go. Because if you remember, the Day of Atonement, the tabernacle, all of these sacrifices of Leviticus are given to Israel in the midst of the wilderness. They've been led out of bondage in Egypt, but they have not yet arrived to the land where they are going. See, the Day of Atonement is celebrated in the tabernacle as a part of the promise of God making Israel his people. But for Israel to be the people of God, they needed not just to be in his presence, but they needed to be in his place, the land of God. And the Lord God was still taking them to that promised land. And the Day of Atonement would be a time to point Israel forward, to remember the promises of God, and to see that he is on his way to fulfilling those promises. He was taking them to the place where one day they would be fruitful and multiply, a land that was overflowing with milk and honey, where they would permanently dwell in the presence of God, where they, as Hebrew says, would ultimately find real rest. The Day of Atonement reminded Israel that their story wasn't finished, that the Lord God was still writing their story, and he would continue to do that. And, And the same is true for us. Now listen, church, as Christ followers, we don't celebrate the Day of Atonement any longer. But it's not because we don't need atonement, and it's not because we don't need to celebrate the significance or remember the significance of atonement. We don't celebrate an annual Day of Atonement and the sacrifices that would go with an annual Day of Atonement because, well, because it's been replaced The annual sacrifice of the Day of Atonement has been replaced by an eternal, greater sacrifice. And the celebration that went with that annual day has been replaced by what should be not an annual, day-long celebration, but an eternal, perpetual, everyday celebration of the greater Day of Atonement that took place because of our Savior, Jesus The book of Hebrews tells us all about that. It says this, But when Christ appeared as our great high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, tabernacle, that is, not one made with human hands or of this creation, speaking of the heavenly place, he entered Jesus once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 
We're told in the book of Matthew that when Christ died on the cross, the temple veil, the veil between the outer courts of the temple and the Holy of Holies was torn in two. His sacrifice, His atonement made once for all was sufficient to cleanse us forever, to forever atone for our sins, the sins of our past, the sins of our present, and the sins of our future. Now, what does that mean? It means that we should still now all the more celebrate His atoning work. All the more daily we should meditate on what it means that we have been fully atoned for. It means all the more that we should rest daily in the atonement that He has made for us. Church, we are a people that need to every day celebrate that day, today, tomorrow, as the day of atonement, because every day our sins are fully forgiven. There will never be a day again where we have to sit like Israel and wonder if we are carrying around guilt and shame. I remember when I was a kid and and didn't quite understand the gospel. I would go to bed and I would say my prayers at night, and one of the reoccurring thoughts that I had was, God, would you allow me to die in my sleep? Because it's during that time where I know I've asked for forgiveness of all of my sins and you've given it. As if I died during the day and I hadn't quite up to that moment asked for forgiveness of sins, it wasn't covered. I have a feeling that Israel probably lived much of their life that way, but we don't have to. Because Christ has forgiven us once for every transgression we have or could ever make. And so let us be a people that celebrate and remember the atonement and let it serve as a reminder, a reminder that Christ died to make us his brothers, to make us sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, to remind us that we are his chosen people, to remind us also of the extent of our sin, the impacts that our sin has, and yet also as we see the depth of it to know that it has been fully erased. Let us be a people that are drawn in to the presence of God, to see our atonement as one that invites us into the very throne of grace, that we would moment by moment know that we always dwell in the presence of a holy God, that we can always speak to him, that he is in on every conversation that we have. That it's not simply the times where we sit down and open our Bibles that we commune with the Holy God. But when we sleep, we are with Him and in His presence, He sings over us. When we wake up in that very moment, He declares over us that we are His beloved children. When we are in in strife or hardship, in the midst of temptation, our God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. And let, as we meditate and celebrate our atonement, let it point us forward that we are not yet in the promised land like Israel, but that the Lord God is leading us to a day where he will make all things new, where we will be with him forever. We will see him clearly and not through a mirror lit dimly, that one day the atonement that Christ has made for us will come to full fruition and we will have inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth because of Jesus, our Savior. Church, may we now and forever be changed because of the atonement 
of Jesus. I pray that we would be overwhelmed by it day after day after day because it's just that good. Church, pray with me as we conclude our time together.